Welcome to Queercast, the Brandon Sanderson <laughs> podcast. We're a bunch of mega fans bringing you the news discussion and a whole lot of gay opinions about Brandon and the Cosmere. Happy Pride Month, everybody. We've got a special episode for you this month to celebrate all things Pride, as well as all the gay, queer, and non-binary characters in our favorite universe. I'm Jesse, and as you can see, the Lord Ruler is dead, and I, as his wife, have usurped his throne. This was the real reason I immigrated, guys. I had to like take his throne. I had to get rid of it. Yeah, the Lady <laughs> He's Ruler been in power for it. too long. Somebody the Lady Ruler down. The Lady <laughs> Ruler. Yeah. Long live the Queen. So in honor of this month, we wanted to share a bit about ourselves as well as to give some insight into our experiences in the LGBTQ plus community. So starting us off, I'm bisexual and I use she, her pronouns. Next up, I'd like to welcome Alex. Hello, I am Feather or Feather Writer. Um, I also use she, her pronouns and uh, I actually do not consider myself queer. Um, I've occasionally used uh, labels like I, I have some aromantic tendencies, but for the most part, I just consider myself straight, cis, and I am here because I have a lot of time in queer communities and lots of queer friends and lots of time in the queer Cosmere fandom specifically. So um, I tend to be this token straight friend on um, in lots of my friend groups, and I'm the token straight shardcaster today. So... Hi, thanks for letting me me be here with everybody. Cool. <laughs> Next up, we have Matt. Matt slash comatose on the forums. Um, and I wore purple on the day I came to kill heteronormativity. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I he him pronouns and I identify as gay. Uh, next up, we have Shannon. Hi, everyone. Um, for all you audiophiles out there, you might notice that my uh, sound is different. Uh, just be aware, you know, for those of you who notice this kind of thing, my mic died. So here I am. Um, you know me as Grey or Greywatch on the forums Discord. Uh, I go by she, her, and I am a biromantic asexual. Next, welcoming Ala. Hello. I'm Rasar on the forums and Discord, mostly on Discord. And I have the show and tell for today since Argent is sobby absent. <gasps> yeah. Whoa. Because recently, <laughs> since the 1st of June was the Children's Day, my parents decided for some reason that their 24 year old daughter should get more toys. <laughs> so there is behold, nothing wrong with that. Oh, wow. wow. That's very cool. Looking. What is that? Please explain. I'm not saying this is supposed to be like a specific Pokemon or something, but it's a Phoenix. <laughs> It's a I love it. It's cool. It has like those really transparent cool. wings, half transparent wings that move around. I it's like nice, it. It's a nice gradient <laughs> on the the feathers. Yeah, I'm it's very it's, qualified it's, to speak about feathers in particular. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of some kind of like transparent plastic. Very cool. Yeah, but very cool. Yeah, so now it's decorating my desk. <laughs> I love it. I am very big on uh, soft toys, as mm -hmm. people may be aware. Uh, <laughs> so I am definitely pro getting toys into adulthood. Okay, so now for the actual functional part of this introduction. <laughs> uh, since everyone's identifying themselves, I 
am the opposite of Shannon when I'm bisexual or pansexual, but a romantic. Mm. Okay, and last but definitely not least is Katie. Welcome to Shardcast. Hello, hello. I'm Katie or Aeonine on the forums. Some weirdos pronounce it Eeny. <laughs> um, some weirdos as in literally the rest of the staff until we told us we pronounced it wrong like two weeks ago <laughs> I use her I'm panromantic asexual and I identify as a demigirl as a, as a demigirl cool and I am Lady Lameness on the forums mm-hmm. and Discord I also have some show and tell uh because Eric and I did the unboxing recently of the Way of Kings Kickstarter, and there was talk about pins and what to do with pins. And I was saying on it that I put pins on my uh, plushies because I don't know what to do with them. And someone <laughs> on the Discord, who I'm very sorry, I cannot remember who it was, uh, please at me and uh, get up me for forgetting who you are, was saying that they really liked it and they started doing it too. So I thought I would show off some of the pins that I have that I have put on my plushies mm-hmm. and I can also show off some of my plushies. So I am quite a, quite the Naruto fan. So here is Gara. <gasps> and oh. on him, we have a little Kuroko from the Breath of, oh, Breath so of the Wild, cute. which is so cute. And I love it so much. Uh, by Gemma oh, Young. Oh my God. Who does a lot of Cosmere <clears throat> art as well and did like a fantastic Dalinar at the end of Oathbringer, mm. like bringing together the realms. It's real the nice. Clap. Yes, the clap. It's it's super great. Oh, um, good. And I then I now. also yeah. have a Sasori, um, which has another one of Gemma Young's pins. This one's a Zelda. There was so many colors, and I took so long to choose one. I could not figure it out. And then I also have the Herondale Crest from the Infernal Devices series by Cassandra Clare, because Illumicrate put out a special edition of them recently and they are gorgeous and i put a bunch of pictures into one of the channels in discord but <laughs> one of them colors and box? like all of the pages are colored but then on the the actual pages they've got designs of clockwork as well because the entire mm, series is about you. clockwork automatons and it, they're just so pretty but it came with a bunch of extra swag i have some of the figurines in the background but i just love the pin and <laughs> i have so many nice pins and i'm like what do i do with them so uh some of these might get pinned sometime soon you know, Jess, I didn't know you were such a Naruto fan. Like- I love it. Yeah, I used to be really into it in high school. Um, and then last year, I went through and rewatched the half of the original um, and then all of the Shippuden. And when I say all, I mean I skipped every filler arc except the ones that I wanted to watch because I just wanted to watch the main story. Because <laughs> I hadn't seen that bit because it wasn't finished when I was watching no. it in high school. But yeah, I love it. I love it so much. I thought it was like quite a good storyline in the end. You just have to, you know, skip all the filler. Um, but yeah, I also watched it on like double speed. So that did help get to it because <laughs> it definitely yeah. suffers from that... Uh, anime thing of just drawing things out where you have one conversation over 20 minutes in an episode. It's like, this didn't need to be this long. Oof. So to start us off today, um, we're going to do a very quick disclaimer about terminology and some of the terms that we're going to use in 
this episode, mostly because we know not everyone watching will be as familiar with some of these terms, um, but we don't want to do too much of a dig into uh, a lot of the terminology that is used within queer circles because it can be very deep and very long. So we just want to do a little bit so people understand what we're actually talking about during this episode. Yeah. And I, I think the the main thing is just recognizing that terminology is a complicated issue um, in the queer and LGBTQ plus community. Um, and for this episode, I think we're mostly going to be using terms we're comfortable with or we identify with, um, but acknowledge that not everyone is going to feel the same way about some of the terms, such as the ones we used when we were introducing ourselves. Um, it's, you know, a evolving area of language and lots of times it'll depend on the age of the community or your generation demographic. And there's not a standard set that's going to suit everyone. And this is also we also recognize this is Shardcast. This isn't a terminology lecture, although it can be a terminology lecture sometimes when it's about <laughs> Cosmere terminology. But uh, we're we're not here to kind of provide a primer on queer terms. So if you're new and the, even the intros is making your head spin, I think we'll include some links below in the description link place. And uh, you can oh, check wow. out some of the resources <laughs> that are there um, to get you started. But just recognizing that it's not going to be universal, but it, it's a start and some common uses. And we'll pause if there's like kind of some key things to explain what well, we might explain that. Yeah, I imagine if we're talking about specific characters that are queer in the Cosmere, then we'll take a moment to um, outline like what that actually means for that character. Okay, so question for you all. What do you find unique about consuming media that has queer content um, as a queer reader or a straight reader in terms of Alex. Um, <laughs> just what, what do you find good, bad in the way that it's presented in the way that it comes across? Um, I want to say there is something, I don't know if you guys have heard this, this term before, but like queering the lens or like queering the read, you know, it's, um, <laughs> Matt's nodding, he knows <laughs> um, <laughs> that there is, Definitely a a completely different perspective and the way you you start to look at the text, the way you look at stories, um, whether the author intended to put it there or not. It's like it, it, it's almost very death of the author in the fact that what the author intended doesn't really matter to this querying, querying the text. This is just I there's there's a way of doing this like just in casual informal fandom and then there's like the official uh literary analysis mode of called querying or querying the text and it's instead of assuming that everyone is straight or everyone is cis meaning that they're not trans they're not non-binary that they were that they feel comfortable with the label um that they were assigned a gender that they were assigned as a baby when they first came out of their mother it's instead of assuming straightness, assuming cisness, that we intentionally look for places where they could be queer. And that's kind of the alt, the the one sentence version of this. Like it sounds like it gets into things like um, queer coding and 
like queer baiting to an extent, but it could. Like, yeah, it just reminds me so much of queer coding. Yeah, people, it's sort of like, like from the opposite. For it, you can see things that could be trying to subtly point towards gay characters kind of, or lesbian characters or non-binary kind of friends. Mm -hmm. So it kind of reminds me of like how people like um, the Iliad story, the kind of off topic, but the Iliad, like how people started uh, looking at Achilles and Patroclus, like, were they gay? They and were so they realized they were very gay. <laughs> They're so gay. You know, yes. and like, that's kind of, I think what, what, why this came to be, because it's so normal to look at text and just assume that everyone is straight, because if the author hasn't said anything, then that means they're not gay. Um, but then some people, like, it's it's just taking the opposite. Well, if the author hasn't said anything, why can't they be gay? Uh, why can't they be, exactly. be trans? Uh, and that that's kind of the ultimate question that is asked. Like, it, looking into the absence of information and reading yourself in, in there. I know um, I have uh, had some classes in, like, analysis, um, information analysis, things like that. And one of the things that one of my professors talked about was the distinction between evidence for and consistent with. And I think for a lot of people, when you, especially I've found like in the wider Cosmere fandom, when you step outside of the queer circles, you'll talk about like certain characters, you know, being read in sort of like a queer way, very widely. And people are like, that's not in the text. Where where'd you get that from? That's not where where does it say that that's a thing? Like you just made that up, right? And it's trying to tell people like a lot of this stuff isn't necessarily like, yeah, there's this point on the page where you said something and that means for sure definitely it's going to happen. A lot of it is more consistent with is there maybe a non-queer explanation for why that character did that, why that character said that? Sure, possibly. But you could also take whatever they said or did and read it as consistent with a queer reading for that character. And for a lot of people, that's like that's that's all you need. That's all you need to headcanon characters in, you know, various fashions. You you don't have to have that hard and fast proof in order to start reading these characters in that way. It's just that's not the way that it works. And some characters you don't even need that like there, there's definitely characters out there that maybe in the text there's not even those moments where you could have multiple readings people are just happy to see this character and in their mind think they are queer in some way because they relate to that character and the way that they want to relate further is well what if this character mm -hmm. was my sexuality or my gender and like there's a lot out there where people have explored this particularly fan fiction um mm. to see which directions characters could go in an an alternative universe or in an alternative reading or alternative um scenario and like there's definitely even scenes out there that are similar to scenes within the the canon prose where you could just rewrite it subtly and suddenly the meaning is very different even if it wasn't necessarily there to begin with i think also there is a certain type of way of existing in the queer in the queer fan circles where there is no one right way to read the text no mm -hmm. we don't have one 
one reading, there is no reading that is king. We all, you know, it, it's a it's a kind of exploratory way of existing with the text. Um, so I think that's also part of when you step outside the circles and you get that. Where are you getting that? Where are you getting that from? Point to me in the text where Kaladin said he's gay. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, does um, he need well, to say that for someone yeah. to want that to be true? And I think like that ties into something really interesting. I think as queer people out in the world, t- like times are changing, but like, I think just out in the world, I found at least you become very alert to real life subtext, you know, like if you're in mixed company, you don't just walk up to someone and say, hey, I'm gay. You <laughs> kind of suss people out and look for subtext and signals and kind of cultural markers to be like, okay, this person, you know, they have a rainbow bracelet on. So they must be supportive or this person is, you know, dressed more conservatively and seems kind of uptight. So maybe I should be more careful about how I act around them. And that sort of analysis, I think, transitions really interestingly when you're reading in a transformative way where you're not just engaging with the text as written, but imagining and expanding from the basics on the page to what else that could mean um, and picking up on subtext specifically because you're kind of trained That's to do that. That's a super good point. Yeah, how the real life situations where you can't just go and say to everyone, I mean, there might be some places in this in this world. Yeah. Like we we can probably think of like maybe a few cities. They're like, oh yeah, that's a super liberal city. I'm sure you could, and you could be out to everyone. Um, but there are, uh, I think, a lot of a lot of times and places that that still is not the reality. Where yeah. it's we, when trying to find others like us, even in the real world, we don't say things like that. We find euphemisms. We look for commonalities in the stories that people are telling us and thinking, oh, are you, is that, is that it? So it's, it's the exact same way that we do read the, uh, the text, like for, for fiction. That's actually a super good point that we do the exact same kind of looking for subtext in the characters, the same way we would for real people. Are you safe? Are you like me? Mm -hmm. I think it ties back, um, really well to what you were saying earlier Shannon about how if it's not mentioned canonically someone's uh sexuality it's just assumed they're straight and I think in like the real world it the whole you don't go up to someone and say hey I'm gay or I'm non-binary is because it's assumed everyone's straight and it feels weird to people to go up and say hey I'm straight because of course you are (laughs) Like, that's what everyone assumes. So it becomes the strange thing because it is out of the norm to say something. And yeah, it's the same as on a page. Like, if it's not said, then there's that assumption. Absolutely. Uh, Rasa or Katie, do you guys have stuff you want to add? Honestly, I feel like I'm going to sound very simple after all this, you know, conventional <laughs> queer reading and we are BSing our way through life. Way. <laughs> yeah, but I think like there's also, you know, like like you were saying with like the assumption that everyone is straight, not everyone will be reading this like that because you will like I whenever I read a book, I caught myself in that 
I caught myself assuming that every character is bisexual, unless otherwise noted strictly in the text that they are either straight or they are gay. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, is also very helpful when reading fan fiction because a character being other sexuality than you imagine them isn't out of character if you already had canon them as attracted to everyone around them. I mean, yeah, that's how I make yeah. my D&D characters, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, everyone's going to have a different lens when they go into things, and yeah, exactly that. Like, you can go into something and assume everyone's bisexual, and someone else is going to go in and assume everyone's straight, and there, sometimes it's like that clash when people don't realize that people have these different lenses when they do read, and assume that everyone has the same... Um, <laughs> lens that they're going in with i I think that's a really astute point uh, because i think that's where a lot of conflict when people are talking about different headcanons and different readings can arise is not understanding you are reading the same text you are seeing the same words on the page but you're viewing it from a different perspective or a different lens and lens does impact your reading i think sometimes especially if you're not used to talking to people who are reading with different lenses, you assume that the lens you're reading through has no impact and you are reading this like true objective version of the text. Yes. But as you mm-hmm. speak with people who are from, you know, different cultures, backgrounds, what have you, you learn to recognize that the differences it makes for how the text comes across can be huge. That's why I think this kind of talking a bit at the beginning about the lens and the kind of unique aspects that we're getting into is important. People always say, like, don't assume things, don't infer things, just what's there. And like, to some extent, yeah, but that's not, that's just not also how it really works in the real world. You kind of have to assume things about people. And like, obviously, if you take that too far, and then act upon those assumptions, that can be bad. Mm. But like, in every interaction, we will assume something, basically. And that's just how humans work, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. And so carrying that over into the into the text also is just not that awful. No, I think that definitely, that dovetails super well with what Matt was saying, like, um, you know, about like the everyone is always making assumptions and that there is a kind of reader who assumes that what they're reading is the objective reality. Um, Definitely. But we are all making some kind of assumptions. Um, I did want to sort of that, that does remind me of where I wanted to go with uh, talking about Shalon in this episode. Um, We have a lot of quotes, we have a lot of stuff ready. Um, (laughs) But how I first wanted to start off this was how Shalon got to be canon by in the first place so yeah. they, there is a wob um that where where someone a friend of ours silver stars asks brandon on twitter hey shalon is coming off like super attracted to yasna is she is she attracted to women and brandon was like hmm i didn't really intend that but i can totally see where you're coming from and yeah, you know what? Um, I can see that. This is a paraphrase. This is not what they exactly said. We can put the text there later. But that's kind of how, how that happened, was that someone reading had a very different lens for reading Shallan than Brandon did while writing it. Um, 
and that's kind of the I think we've we we're seeing this quite a bit with the queer fandom coming up against what Brandon intended um in the text and there is the uh, I think even Brandon started with assumption of straightness uh and how he began to write Shalon and I really like how this whole thing developed in that Brandon decided to change his mind um not because he realized he did have that lens and so um seeing Shalon, the moment you take away the assumption that she's that she must be straight, um, opens up the possibility to all of a sudden the things that Shalon is saying and thinking come off as attracted to women. And I think we have a few of these quotes from Way of Kings and possibly Words of Radiance. Oh, is there words of radiance? Definitely Way of Kings. Definitely um, Way of Kings. Trust me, yes, no, yeah, I um, think all the, the first three <laughs> books are full of it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And the great thing about Brandon becoming aware of that is Rhythm of War, he like canonically put in deliberate um, bisexual Shalon, like where she is um, looking at other women like in a bar where, when she is with Adeline and um, like he's fine with it, but like he, Brandon has tried to deliberately incorporate that now. And I've definitely seen stuff on Reddit from Brandon where he says he's very grateful when people bring these things up because like you said, like he did not think about this. He did not look at this originally and see this. And this is a good way for him to get feedback of ways that he can change and um, explore characters more that he wouldn't have thought of beforehand. Absolutely. Well, and, and Brandon's talked too about how Earlier in his writing, he struggled with that kind of assumed straight, cis, white male character. Like every character starts as that mm -hmm. and then you work your way out from there. Um, and he got into trouble with that with Mistborn because he came up with this really compelling female character um, with Vin um, and then just kind of defaulted on the rest and then realized like when the series was done, basically, oh, man, like. I have like one main female character and then a couple pretty cool female side characters that I added in the second and third book. But the core cast is very male dominated. Um, and, and it's that assumption, right? Like he he starts with his own reading. So his willingness, I think, to adjust um, based on fandom reading and feedback is is really interesting. And using the fans and their diverse viewpoints and readings as a tool um, to make up for, you know, some of the blinders that we all have. Yep. And he's talked since then about if he was to redo it, he would make Ham a woman, I think it was. Both Ham and Doc. Yeah. But I think he could go even further than that and not just um, gender swap them, but make them trans yeah. women. Yeah, and I think that would be a really good use of representation to not only put more female characters in, but also represent uh, trans women as well. I, I have a really fun head head canon of female ham um, as being a a lesbian woman with a family, and she has like her oh, nice. her lesbian <laughs> wife that she like keeps safe <laughs> and their kids. Oh. Um, so crossing my fingers, <laughs> Mistborn TV, whenever that happens. <laughs> One someday, day, maybe someday. Uh, I think it's 
you know, one of the things just to look at the sort of Cosmere fandom in a, in a microcosm, it is really intriguing that Brandon, who is, you know, a straight man, uh, straight cis, Mormon, even like not very much at all a part of any sort of queer communities, has a lot of queer fans. There are a lot of queer fans of the Cosmere. Um, they make their own communities. They, you know, it may mean we're we're all here after all. Um, uh, and and I I think you know I try to think like what is it about Brandon's works that he he definitely is trying more to you know include canon queer characters and things like that. Um, I think a lot of us would say it's still a learning process. Um, he's still working on that. But despite the fact that there are not a lot of queer characters on screen, queer fans still really gravitate toward the books. And I kind of, I almost wonder why that is. If anybody has like a good answer of yeah. what, it's, it's, what draws you in like that. It might be partially because Brandon doesn't really write very overt heterosexuality either. Mm -hmm. Because, like, you don't yeah. get a moment like, and then Kaladin and Breach 4 went to the brothel to cavort with the serving <laughs> girls or whatever like that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, you don't really get those moments like, uh, this character is very straight and is written as very straight and is talking about how much he wants to, I don't know, I don't know how much I can say on the shortcut that isn't <laughs> after dark. <laughs> Yeah, because like you have, I don't know, you have, I don't read much epic fantasy beyond Sanderson, to be honest, but I'm pretty sure you have like in Game of Thrones characters talking about visiting Ooh. brothels or whatever, and you won't really see that in Brand with Brandon's works. I think the most overt would be whatever is happening with nobles in Mistborn, which is not a, you know, example of a healthy relationship, and Sean and Adolin mm. in, uh, in Rhythm of War, especially. Uh, where you know he's like comes like within two words of saying what they're doing in the sheets but yeah. even then you know sean is a confirmed bisexual so it's not really 100 percent heterosexual either it's very so yeah. I think black yeah, yeah so i think this gap sort of where you don't really have this overt heterosexuality lets all the gayness flow in <laughs> actually you know what there's there's more heterosexuality in Cosmere than I thought. Because like you have like Siri and Suzebron and Dalinar and Navani and the fourth worm. <laughs> the worm. So <laughs> Oh god. But still it's yeah. not like they are actually starting to undress each other on page. No, yeah. Brennan does not do that. Yeah. And, and and I think that fade to black approach, um, like even in those examples, because Brandon's not He's telling us what's happening lots of times. He's not showing us. And so we're not getting a lot of the emotional impact of those scenes. And because of that, I think there's a lot more room for alternate readings, you know. So even yes. though um, you see Adolin and Shallon fading to black in a romantic moment, people are free to say, oh, yep. They're 100% a heterosexual couple. They're doing their heterosexual thing. Or they could say, oh, look at those cute bi nerds kissing. <laughs> but also they're thinking about all the other boys and girls <laughs> at other times. Or, you know, if someone had a, a different reading, like 
there's a lot of room. It's kind of a blank canvas, Brandon's approach to romance and sexuality. That's exactly where I wanted to go next. It's because Brandon doesn't like even even outside the relationships, Brandon doesn't really write characters with sexual romantic as as sexual romantic beings. Um, You know, there's a reason Kaladin gets like the widest range of of readings from totally straight to possibly like repressed homosexual repressed asexual like you know feel you know because it does he doesn't feel totally like he's into women all the time he doesn't feel like he has those kinds of feelings and this is not a this is not just a Kaladin thing this is just how Brandon writes there is kind of this absence of sexuality that when you assume straightness, you're like, oh, no, of course he's into women. It's just, you know, Bran is just not a romance writer. But then you can also look at it and be like, Kaladin, you know, regardless of, like, Brandon's skill as a writer, Kaladin does not appear that into women. You know, and w- since women are the only, like, romantic uh, kind of things that present themselves to Kaladin, the only situations, um, and he doesn't appear that into him, there's there's a reading to be had there where, you know, maybe Kaladin, um, you know, doesn't even know, like, he might have feelings for people who aren't women. You know, like, there's that, there's that idea of, com- uh, is it comp- compulsory? Compulsive. Compul- it's not compulsive. I think it's no, compulsory, compulsory heterosexuality. Compulsory, yeah. yeah, compulsory heterosexuality. Thank you, everyone. Um, I bought <laughs> that comp head, whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, and um, by the way, sorry, I said comp head, I said compulsory heterosexuality. Did, didn't explain what that means. Um, it's sort of a broad term for how our culture assumes straightness um, and how, you know, there are a lot of uh, gay people or. Uh, by people, anyone who's not straight, it takes some of us a really long time to realize it because the heterosexual heterosexuality has been kind of the compulsory experience. Everyone is assumed, uh, everyone is assumed straight, even yourself. So for me, like what happened was I thought I was straight for a really long time into my twenties because I thought what I was feeling was straightness. Everyone feels this way. Everyone is straight, therefore I'm straight. I wasn't straight. Um, <laughs> everyone feels the way I do about Spoiler men and alert. women. Spoiler alert. Um, everyone feels this way about men and women. Um, you know, you know, I'm supposed to like men, so I think I, I think I probably like men and not women. Um, you know, so the way I feel about women is not straight, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't like them, so therefore it's just friendships. And the way I feel about men is obviously, yeah. That's great. That that tracks. That's that's straightness. Um, and I don't really feel like super strongly like sexual attraction. Everyone's just joking um, and exaggerating, and no one is actually really attracted to anyone. So everyone feels what I feel, and that must be straightness. <laughs> it's not straightness. It's it's that assumption that everyone has, even for themselves, um, that everyone is straight. Compulsory. It's it's this is how the society must function. And we're, you know, there's, there's all kinds of ways you can read the absences that Brandon has in his works. He, Brandon just has a void kind of where other writers would have sexual interest or romantic feelings. And you can see this in like, uh, in other critics, people who don't even like Brandon's writing or who, who still do assume straightness, um, 
like I've seen on Reddit, like people saying like, you know, Brandon's works are so sexless. Like these people don't read as people because they don't have desire. Um, I've seen, I've seen that happen. Um, you know, and like, I don't totally disagree with that. I'm just going to take that and make it queer. You know, that's, that's just how I'm going to use that. Um, it's, it's a fact of how he writes. Um, I just wanted to note real quick, because I come from a, a very like conservative and just like, we don't talk about these things. These things aren't great background. And so I just wanted to clarify because I know there are probably at least a few people watching this who are who are watching this right now and going, but I don't want Brandon to have sex scenes in his works. I don't want everyone to be like super horny right. lusting yeah, after yeah. each other. And I just want to clarify that that's not quite what we mean. And that there are like, there are ways to show not tell and do things like that and show interest in people without it being like oh things happened and stuff and 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 that th th there's an in-between there and that's what we're referring to generally it doesn't have yeah. to be a porn smut scene yeah to show. <laughs> yeah and also that, that, that's a really good point katie because i think also in a way we're saying for queer readers brandon's kind of neutral approach um is a good thing because it does leave so much room for imagination and transformative and multiple different interpretations of character. So even though we're examining it, yeah, I agree. Like I, I really like Brandon's uh, style in that way. Um, so do so. I. I. I like having that, that flexibility, that room where people from different backgrounds can see it how they want, like not just like queer readers, but also straight readers, like, everyone can kind of see from different angles and i don't think that's what brandon necessarily is going for but it is almost like it is appreciated at the same time because it does give that um room to see yourself like in the story and it's like see yeah. the um places where straightness could fit if that's the way you look at it or uh queerness could fit if that's the way you look at it but it is also nice that brandon has included more actual queer characters as well to show no hey queerness does exist in the cosmere and that is okay and it's not just um assumed straight which is what I think it would be if Brandon didn't put those characters in as overtly as he did. Yeah, no, because there's kind of two, there's two different things going on, right? Like it, on one hand, like reading through a queer lens, like there's all these transformative things you can do um, and headcanons are fun and headcanons are great, but that doesn't mean that canonizing some form of representation is not also important. Um, so yeah, and I, I think Brandon is aware of this somewhat. I remember he had some discussions early on about Vin and Elen's relationship and how Vin and Elen's relationship could be interpreted a couple different ways with what they're doing before and after marriage. And he yeah. wanted it to be kind of ambiguous so that his readers would be uncomfortable with their relationship progressing past a, a certain point before marriage could read it that uh, that way, whereas people who had a different reading could read it a different way. Um, so I think he's alert to that technique. Um, and I think the issue is 
when it's used predominantly for queer characters, you almost run into a don't ask, don't tell situation where the queer fans are always having to do the the mental and emotional labor of transforming the work in their own minds and then explaining it to people and then defending their choice to read it in that way. And and that's that's where the rep becomes important because it takes some of that labor off to say this is an acceptable reading um and it's okay to read other characters this way too because queer characters canonically exist and um, it also helps to validate um those genders and sexualities and like when it takes that emotional labor off uh queer readers it's like hey no you also matter um, I also just wanted to say really quickly um, and try and make it explicit that like, we do have critiques that we want to talk about with Brandon's characters, with his writing. Uh, we do know he's trying and we, he is getting better. And there are things that we would probably love to see now that Brandon's not ready to do, but he is working towards it. But a critique doesn't necessarily mean that we are demanding anything. We are more trying to talk about what we would like to see potentially in the future if we can't see it now. Um, but like us saying that we'd like to see something more from the author doesn't mean that we're saying Brandon is a bad person or necessarily that he's doing badly. Maybe there are other authors who are very specifically not including queer representation. And in those cases, like there is a lot more critique of the author um, and their choices, whereas like Brandon has openly talked about that he's not comfortable writing certain sexualities right now. He just couldn't get it to fit, but he's going to continue to work on it. And like we've brought up, he is a um, straight man and he does have uh, fairly religious beliefs and he does do quite well to think outside that so that he can include this queer representation. But I just wanted to put in a little PSA that like just because we're critiquing Brandon now doesn't mean that we're criticizing. Also it's like Brandon making things more explicit in the in his current work. This is kind of becoming necessary because even now you will have people who will say, no, there is no proof in canon that Sean is bisexual. You will still have people who say like Oh, it's just it's just Vale that's bisexual. It's not Shalam. Oh, like if Brandon said it in the world of Brandon, that that's not canon. You know, so it's nice right. to have more characters who are like, like ideally you wouldn't like say like, have I mentioned I am homosexual today? But <laughs> you kind of. It's like Shalom's not going to go make out with yeah. a girl in the series. Like that's just not going to happen. And like there yeah. is such a high bar sometimes to prove that a character is gay, even when the author has specifically said, no, th- this is meant to be proof that Shalon is bisexual. Like the scene in Rhythm of War is Shalon being bisexual and people still <sighs> don't accept it because it's not explicit enough. I just want to like, it's kind of this weird, uh, this weird, uh, tension between we shouldn't have to prove it, but God, wouldn't it be nice if it was more explicit? Yeah. Right? Like, we shouldn't have to defend it and, like, list out all the points of and this is why we can say for canon they're gay, they're bi. Um, it's it's really hard having those conversations. It sucks. Um, but also, like, maybe Brandon, please, a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. 
it's kind of like, like people are sometimes joking about this conversation about Drehi in in World was in World of Radiance or of Bringer. Uh, in one of those books, there's this conversation uh, that basically boils down to everybody saying that Drehi is gay several <laughs> times in different know. ways. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Mostly the Kaladin. And, you know, it would be, it kind of sounds funny. And I've seen people online meme about how, like, you know, Brandon will write those subtle clues of, like, <laughs> this accidental homoromanticism, which I think we discussed back when you discussed back when you did the episode about Brandon tropes. And then when it comes to writing an actually homosexual character, it's, you know, have I mentioned I am homosexual today? Yeah. <laughs> and you I think there's, a, there's a writerly reason for that. Like one of the issues, Brandon, as a writer and lots of writers run into, and these are two great examples of this uh, with Shalon and Drehi. Um, Shalon, I think Brandon is doing a good thing by trying to show, not tell, right? Like that's good writing technique is to show the reader things, not tell them. And so he's showing Shalon is attracted to women. How she perceives women is very visual and appreciative um, and very vibrant. Um, but because he's showing, not telling people who are looking only who are reading from a strictly heterosexual lens are saying, no, you need to tell me or I will not accept what you're showing me or not, not accept, but not, I would say accept actually, or, or yeah. not, um, not, not acknowledge because not pick up it's on like, it it's even. almost like they're reading. Yeah. They're, it's like, you're wearing like rose colored glasses or not ro colored straight colored glasses. glasses. You guys are <laughs> and and so <laughs> what's being shown, it's getting lost in translation. Um, with Drehi, mm -hmm. um, I think has the opposite problem. Brandon has, you know, he's set in wobs. He's based on my gay friend. He has the scene in there where they're like, oh, Drehi's gay. He has a partner. But he hasn't shown Drehi being gay at all. Like nothing, and part of this is because Dre, he's a more minor, minor character. He's not a viewpoint character, but we haven't seen him and his partner together at all. Um, other than separately. like this kind of <laughs> awkward conversation where yeah. they kind of deal with not, not homophobia, but kind of show that uh, same-sex relationships aren't the default and there's still a little awkwardness around them, even though Bridge Four is very accepting his queerness hasn't really made a difference to him as a character and nothing about him is marked. He's like kind of missing all the subtext that we're reading. Yeah. Into canonically straight yeah. characters like Adolin and Kaladin and Vin and Shan or whoever, right? We're reading all the subtext in and Drehi is canon with no subtext. Ooh, that's actually a super good point is that Brandon, when he's writing a, an identity on purpose, if he, there is, there's no, the, the subtext is all wrong for whatever he tries to do. If he assumes there's a straight character yeah. from Brandon assuming this character's straight, the subtext for straightness isn't there, so we read them as queer. Um, I actually noticed this super much in Rhythm of War with Yasna versus Venli. Venli mm -hmm. read as incredibly asexual to me. She is not canonly asexual. Um, Brennan has not said it. There's been no sort of like extra 
things in the text to actually lead this way. She just reads as very ace. Yasna is the canon ace, and she does not read that way to me at all. The subtext is totally missing. It's totally wrong. Could you also go into a little bit what ace means, Shannon? Yes. Um, and uh, asexual, ace, asexual, that's what it stands for. It, it means having no uh, sexual attraction to, to people. Um, it doesn't mean having no libido. For some, for some asexual people, it can mean having no libido. Um, but for a lot of people, it's not really relevant. Um, you can have a sex drive, but not really feel that in relation to other people. Um, now that's what sort of got me about Venley. She had that one conversation with her mother, I think, in the flashback, where she they were talking about her future relationships, and her mother was like, "Oh, you'll understand when you're older." And Venley's like, "No, I don't feel anything Ew. like that, and I'm and I'm never going to." And I'm like, "Yes, that's what it's like. It's like so. It's always it's about people telling you you're going to feel differently someday, and you just grow up, and you grow up, and you grow up, and you never do." Um, and then Yasna, she's theoretically asexual, um, theoretically. Um, and Brandon has this line where he, he tells, but doesn't show. He's like, and Yasna had never felt this way before. I should find the text. Cause this is like, I, I really want to get the, the quote right here. Um, mm -hmm. okay. Here's the quotes. Um, I'm not going to read every single bit, uh, every paragraph, but just like interesting snippets from, I'm going to read interesting snippets of the quotes. Uh, he grinned, then kissed her hand again. He seemed to think that sort of thing would eventually spark passion in her. When in truth, physical stimulation was so inferior to mental stimulation. Da 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 dot dot dot. She came to realize early in her youth that she didn't approach relationships the same way everyone else seemed to. Her partners in the past had always complained that she was too cold, so academic. That had frustrated her. How was she to learn what others felt if she couldn't ask them? Dot, dot, dot. Most women, she suspected, would find him physically attractive. <sighs> okay. There is so much going on here. Um, and this does not really read as asexual, as an asexual woman to me at all. People who are ace can recognize that other people are attractive i think lots of people are attractive but i'm not attracted to them it's a little subtle but there is a huge difference in how in the experience of this asexual people are not cold and withdrawn from their partners asexual people can still feel romantic uh, attraction romantic feelings in my introduction i said i was biromantic asexual I can feel romantic feelings, but I don't feel sexual feelings. That's kind of like the biggest difference. You'll notice for a lot of people who are either asexual or aromantic, we use this split attraction model where we can feel one or the other or sometimes neither. Um, but they're called, we call them arrow aces. Very cute. <laughs> um, this, this scene where Yasna is heteroromantic, supposedly attracted to men, and doesn't feel ace feelings. This does not read as a woman who is in love with Hoyd or has feelings for Hoyd. She's described as being cold. She's not described. She describes mental stimulation, which isn't really anything. Um, that's like sapiosexuality, which is like a joke. 
Um, <laughs> it's it's yeah. kind it's kind of a meme. Um, I just there there is not a lot here in these selected quotes that actually reads as someone with romantic attraction, but who is asexual. Yeah, and I, I think that is part of my my issues with the scene as well. Um, knowing, like, I, I think there's a lot of uh, a lot in the overall just sort of framing and writing of the scene that I I don't love, but. I think it really comes down to a lot of the fact of like, I don't get a romantic relationship vibe from Hoyt and Yasna. And if that's what's supposed to be happening here, it it kind of throws the rest of the framing out of whack because, you know, if we have this setup of uh, Yasna as a canon ace character who is not sex repulsed, who's, you know, willing to sleep with a partner she cares about, even if she herself is not interested in. If you don't sell the romantic aspect of that, you're kind of left with this question of like, if Yasna's not in love with Hoyd, which I don't get the sense that she's in love with Hoyd in this, why is she sleeping with him? You know, like, Yasna in this scene reads way more like, someone who is aromantic to me, but maybe heterosexual in terms of like willing to sleep with someone, which isn't how she describes it in her head. But this idea of like, oh, I'm not really in love with him, but I'm willing to, you know, do this sort of thing. It's it's almost like it feels backwards. And it, it, the whole scene just kind of doesn't work for me in that Fully way. Fully agree. It's yeah. really interesting to me, and I think this ties back to what we were saying before about uh, Brandon's writing of subtext versus his queer characters, as there were so many um, fans who have thought for a very long time that Yasna was ace or lesbian, and that was all through subtext in the first three books, yet like the scene with Hoyd doesn't have that subtext there. Um, and feels not necessarily forced but like Brandon is trying really hard to put this at the forefront but has dropped all of the the subtext clues that people were looking at before as what could make Yasna ace and I, I think the interesting dilemma that Brandon finds himself in again is this tension between showing and telling and i think he knew going into this scene that he needed to tell the audience that jasna was ace or her relationship with hoyd would completely overshadow what he intended for her her identity to some readers like she does he does have her you know appreciating his nose and his proportions and that she finds his mind and banter fascinating but i i agree with you it it's very it's it doesn't have the warmth of, you know, relationships like Shallon and Adolin and well, honestly, I'm biased, but Adolin and anyone like Adolin is a character <laughs> that has so much yeah. warmth that he injects yeah. a lot into any of his scenes. And Yasna is not as warm a character. So I think showing romantic appreciation is ironically maybe very difficult from her viewpoint, which is kind of further supporting the conclusion that she might be a romantic. Um, 
I also wonder if part of it is, again, Brandon wanting to be explicit, but because of his kind of fade to black approach, being uncomfortable with kind of discussing sexuality too explicitly or, or wanting to avoid, maybe even if he's comfortable, wanting to avoid it because he knows he's set up certain expectations for his readers on the kind of content in his books. So when he's saying things like physical attraction, I, I think what he's intending to say to confirm her ace identity is to say most women she suspected would want to have sex with Hoyd. And she yeah. doesn't, right? Yeah. When she, but instead she's saying physically attractive. And so I think... I get what you're saying, I, yeah. Yeah, I know, mm -hmm. I agree with you that this scene, there's something off about it, and I think it's that tension between showing and telling, and that the writer wants to show more, but there's other kind of extra textual reasons to tell in this instance, and then the clash also between the telling and Brandon's style, and all of that kind of comes together to make the scene just not quite fit together. Sorry, there's also this something that struck me as I read, as I listened to the quote is that Brandon is having a scene where Hoyd and Yasna are together and they're supposed to be having this interaction and Hoyd is, you know, having the interaction and meanwhile Yasna is flashbacking to the times in her youth. So she comes across like she's completely distracted and completely not interested in what he's doing right now. Because, you know, just lay back and think about all those times in your class. Lay down and think about the church. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Um, it does make me wonder if, because um, I really feel um, just from what we've talked about here, people are going to continue to headcanon um, Yasna probably as a romantic as well going forward, just from this scene. And it does make me wonder whether Brandon is trying to leave that um, open to himself. So when he does get to Yasna's book, maybe she has decided that actually she's not, like, she doesn't have those romantic feelings towards other people in the same way that someone who is heteroromantic or homoromantic would and her sexuality could evolve in that way but he's just maybe not quite at the point where he feels like he could write and I, I think this is what he was saying when uh he tried to make her a lesbian and it didn't work he's just not at the point where he could write a character and um and give her justice um of doing it correctly so I do wonder if maybe uh, she might end up as like Arrow Ace in the future. And maybe there's also plot reasons that she needs to be with Hoyd. Personally, I think they could just be real good friends. Uh, and the yeah. same thing could probably happen. But yeah. <laughs> I will say I wouldn't base the in that entire theory on one word. But one word that does support it is in his wob, where the, the annotation where he said Jasmine's ace. Um, Brandon did say that she is currently asexual. Mm -hmm. Um, so that there was that that he did say currently. So I don't know. I think it was, I, I think I it was currently homo heteroromantic. Yeah, not not asexual, asexual but yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a good point. It was currently heteroromantic. I I've kind of long wondered if this is maybe a 
an aspect of a version of Yasna from a long time ago. And I will be very vague around spoilers, but mostly because I haven't actually read <laughs> Way of Kings Prime. But Yasna does have a relationship with uh, a man in that book um, I'm aware of. I uh, won't talk any more detail, but I, I almost wonder if that is sort of like this was a part of what Brandon envisioned for Yasna early on even if it doesn't necessarily feel like it still meshes with the version of the character that we have gotten in canon. Um, because like looking at the sort of fandom history around Yasna, she, I would say almost like above any other character, people were very sure that she was, you know, either lesbian or asexual um, in, in a way that like the, the one thing we all thought we knew about Yasna was that she didn't like men at all. Maybe she likes women. Maybe she's not interested in anybody, but she definitely for sure, totally for confirmed she doesn't like men. And it was a little weird for that part of the fandom to get this uh, version of Yasna that has the sort of hetero romantic and being entangled with Hoyd sort of a vibe. Um, and, you know, we could talk for ages about why that is. Um, I think that scene that stands out to a lot of people in particular is the uh, beginning of Words of Radiance when she's talking to Shallan about being betrothed. And Yasna is so weirded out by the fact that Shallan isn't upset about this. Like, there's one, the one quote in particular that, that everyone pulls is Yasna says, um, and I'm not looking at it, so I might get the phrasing wrong, but I'll be close, I promise. Okay, so I do have the exact quote that everyone bases the dislike of men from from the first chapter of Wars of Radiance. It doesn't bother you at all, Yasna said. The idea of being beholden to another, particularly a man? It's not like I'm being sold into slavery, Sharon said with a laugh. No, I suppose not. Yasna shook herself, her poise returning. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, it's very easy to point to that particularly a man bit and be like, look, proof, Yasna said it. Um... Which, just shaking herself like so like <laughs> yeah I, I i think if you're if you're at all curious about like why do people read yasna's queer read that whole that whole scene and look at the way that yasna acts we she is so uncomfortable around the topic in a way that we haven't ever really seen her be uncomfortable um and i know when i was doing some analysis on this scene i talked about you know, talking, going back to sort of evidence for versus consistent with, um, you almost get, it's, it's possible to read that scene as like Yasna as a queer woman who doesn't like men finding Shalon, who's a bi woman who is not opposed to the idea of liking men and almost like Yasna pinged that Shalon was also queer, but is now very confused why her queer friend is not weirded out by the idea of like marrying a man. Um, which obviously that's not what Brandon intended for that scene, but it parses very, very well. And I think for a lot of people who are already sort of in the headspace of Yasna gives off very queer energy, uh, that scene feels a lot like it could be proof. Um, you know, talking about, I don't want to totally get into all of the Yasna stuff because we are going to do a Yasna specific podcast and we'll save some of that. But, you know, even from the very first time that Yasna is introduced before Shalon even meets with her, we find out like she's fairly old to be unmarried and that's kind of weird. And she's like a very powerful woman who would be very desirable. 
um, why isn't she married? And then Shalon meets her and she's like, oh my goodness, she's gorgeous. I thought she was going to be ugly and mean because that was be the only reason why she doesn't have a husband, right? And even just those little questions, the reader is thinking, why doesn't this very beautiful, very intelligent princess have a husband? Maybe, maybe she doesn't want one. Like, Brandon probably did not intend that to be the takeaway, but from the start, the way that Yasna is introduced leads itself to these questions. Um, and I think there is a very big part of the fandom that latched onto that interpretation and read her that way for books and books and books and years and years. So, um, And I think this is where lens becomes very important because yes. like this scene that we're taught, like my mind's going crazy because there's so many like queer archetypes that Yasna and Shalon fit with this scene you know like you've got the like experienced like bitter older queer person and like the baby <laughs> bisexual like like it, it's playing Shalani into a lot of mean? tropes that maybe general audiences aren't alive to but a queer person is picking up on these tropes and it's like it's screaming at you like it is canon but if you're not aware of that and you're writing it accidentally it's a little different. And the other thing I think is thinking a bit about Brandon's lens. And like Alex said, Brandon, like Yasna is a very old character in Brandon's mind. Like she's been around for a long time, not always in her current form. So Brandon has all this subtext and background information that the reader isn't getting. And so when we're picking up on all this subtext, Brandon is picking up on who knows what else is in his head about Yasna, right? So it, it makes sense that he's not necessarily reading the scene in the same way that we are. Um, it's also right at the beginning of the book as well. Yeah. Like if it was maybe halfway through the book, we'd be like, okay, cool. Like we've had so much and then there's a new character. So maybe like first time I read Way of Kings, there's just so much going on and so many characters that people really got drowned out. But I'm pretty sure it's chapter five that Shalon first meets Yasna. So it's just right Early, there yeah. at the beginning. And if you're looking for the, that like queer coding, that subtext, you've got it from the beginning. And I feel like people are going to notice that and just run with it the whole time. And like that's going to stick in their minds. And I do want to add, um, this is a little bit meta, but it is part of the conversation. Um, we, we've had sort of this idea about Yasna since Way of Kings, and then the beginning of Words of Radiance was 2014. That's about seven years ago now, I realized. I thought it was, I was about to say six. Oops, it's seven. <laughs> <laughs> Time passes. Um, and Brandon did not say anything, confirm her sexuality yeah. in seven years. Might be yeah, specifically Six. avoided it as well like there's mm -hmm. multiple wobs where people asked and he went the ambiguous route saying that she didn't want to be defined by her sexuality which really fueled a lot of headcanons it's Brandon like, well, may not, not gonna have say it then obviously like there's something there and you just don't want to confirm it at the that's moment. exactly it i think brandon probably didn't realize that lack of answer is going to be taken as a confirmation um, so when yeah. we got that, when we got that chapter 17 annotation, currently heteroromantic asexual, 
Um, that was the first time he's ever done that. And it was about six, seven years after the fact. I just want to be very clear that this wasn't a theory or a hope that people had. People weren't hoping that Yasna was going to be a lesbian. People thought Yasna was a lesbian. The, it was more than any other character. Um, her sexuality, I think she's the only I think she's the only one where Brennan has so explicitly refused to say anything up until that annotation before. Mm-hmm. It, it, it wasn't that like, oh, we were projecting and what we hoped would happen didn't happen. It was no, we thought this was in the bag and we had something taken away. Hmm. And even when that chapter 17 dropped in Rhythm of War before the annotation came out, there were so many like memes that were going on about that line <laughs> where people are theorizing if like Wit and Yasna yeah. are together and people really thought it was this massive red herring and like I went on was massive joke. jokes with it. I thought it was and so then funny. the annotation dropped and it was like having the carpet pulled out from under you. Mm. Really thought it was a joke. I still remember and reading like a Tumblr post from the time around the time when the previews were coming out. And someone just wrote in like all capital letters, Brandon, so help me God, this better be a misdirection or else. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and I don't mean to say like, I know there are people for whom, you know, Yasna being confirmed ace and heteroromantic was something that they, they thought was really good, um, that they liked, especially because it came out before we actually got to read the, the wit Yasna scene, which people might have had problems with later on. Um, and we don't mean to say that, like, if you thought that was a really good thing and you were excited about it, that you're wrong and actually it was bad and you should have thought that it sucked. Um, this is, you know, we talk from our own perspectives. Uh, we we all have our own ways that we reacted to it. Um, we're not trying to invalidate anyone who actually really liked the things that Brandon said about how it was confirmed and things like that. Please know that that is a totally valid opinion to have uh even if you know some of us disagree that's yeah. it's not wrong yeah. to disagree with and our I, I think or, yeah our Go purpose ahead. is to use that distinction as an example not to say our way of reading this is the only right way because really our point is there's multiple ways to read it and and they're not mutually exclusive either like these mm-hmm. um different views can exist at the same time but hopefully this is giving a bit of a lens like a look into a different viewpoint that some people might not have thought about um but that yeah it doesn't mean other viewpoints aren't anywhere as legitimate yeah i liked like when brandon first said it i was like oh like my my main headcanon for her had always been asexual and so I was like, oh, I got that. Amazing. We have a rep. And I and I partied about it. And yeah. I didn't mind. I did not mind hetero romantic at all, because even in the queer community, there tends to be a lot of people who are like, oh, hetero romantic people are just straight, basically. And and they don't always get acknowledged. And so I was like, OK, I'm totally fine having rep that that needs rep, too. And then we got to the chapter and I was like, this is the extent of her being this, this is what you call hetero romantic ace, Brandon. Um, <laughs> yeah, you tried. Yeah. There was an so, attempt. Yeah. There was an attempt. I don't disagree and he's with trying, concept, and but... I think that 
is yes. worth acknowledging. Like this, this is his first time really trying to. I think it's his first time, like really trying to do a ace character as a prominent major character. So, and from their from their viewpoint, um, yeah, from their viewpoint. Other than and and Shalon, he kind of got spoiled because he wrote her as bi accidentally and yeah. then he didn't yeah. have to like Shallan think okay count. how am i gonna write shallan bi because yeah. he's like okay i just have to keep writing shallan as she is and she will she be bisexual yeah um, exactly. whereas you know yasna hasn't had as many viewpoints she's never been in like a romantic or intimate situation really from her perspective um yet uh, so I, I think there was a bit more thought and more kind of competing things going in. And I think that for me personally, what I find frustrating, not with Brandon, just with the situation, is that I totally get where he's coming from, that he's like, oh, I'm not ready. I need to research more. I really want to get this right before I have like major viewpoint queer characters. But then you look at like some of the Adolin and Cat- Catalan scenes, for example. Uh, and you're just like, here's two so male bad. characters who have tons of chemistry. Um, one of my fave recent ones is chapter, like read chapter 12 of um, Rhythm of War. So um, but there's a lot of other excellent. And again, Kaladin and Adolin fit into a lot of queer MLM MLM is men who love men. And so the reason why I use that term is because it can refer to both gay men or um, ace men who have romantic attraction, other men or bisexual men. Um, But it fits into a lot of MLM tropes um, like the their initial rivalry um, to mutual respect to best friendship to deep emotional support for one another. Um, Like it's. It, it like it's fitting a lot of those like romantic arp archetype. Well, even like straight romance novels. Like there's yeah. many a Jane Austen book that follows <laughs> that exact trajectory. Catalan um, Pride and Prejudice AU. That would ooh, be fun. Great. Um, <laughs> it feels like a long burn fan fiction. So like a romance that is really drawn out over like a massive. Uh, amount of time and like you're just rooting for it to like continue on because you just want to see them get together in the end and that's what it feels like like oh i agree with everything you're saying yeah catalan was like made to write fanfic about like their dynamic (laughs) is just like there's a reason why i think a lot of fan fiction is inspired because it's it's just it's so well set up and so like i'm looking at this and i'm like brandon like you can write a queer character. I think a maybe just don't think about it too much um, <laughs> and try to tap into what you're already doing unintentionally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that is the the meme of the Cosmere fandom is that a lot of times the characters that Brandon doesn't mean to be in a romantic relationship seem to have more romantic character uh, chemistry than the canon couples. And... Yeah, I mean it happens a lot. Catalan's Kaladin and Adolin, they 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 admire each other and they talk in like their own narrative and thoughts about how much they admire each other or think that the other person looks cool, uh, or you know want you know emotional thoughts about the other person. This happened in Oathbringer and Rhythm of War where they were finally at that level where they were talking about 
oh man, I want to support Adolin or, oh man, I want to support Kaladin. You know, it was like this back and forth. What other relationship in all of Stormlight gets to this level of like characters actually thinking about each other? It doesn't happen. Brandon doesn't do this except for these two. They sh- well, they even have like cutesy nicknames for one another, like Bridge Boy and Princeling. <laughs> They're very cute. Um, yeah, that start as insults, but then become terms of endearment. Yeah, it reminds me. Uh, just to cross universes very quickly, uh, it reminds me of Spencer and Jorgen in um, Skyward and like how she calls mm. him Jack's face, and it starts as like an aggressive nickname and like turns into such a term of endearment. Um, yeah. So yeah, it just reminds me of that. And and that's a really good example because in the first Skyward book, I don't think anyone would blink an eye about theorizing along the way that there's something maybe romantic between Spencer and Jorgen. You know, like I, I think if someone reading the first book was like, there's tension here and I, I ship them or whatever, like. Sorry. That was me. Sorry. Oh, that no, was I, I was just like, that was me. I thought you were signaling me to like stop talking. <laughs> no, that was me. I, I, I was like, yeah. I see this chemistry, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think most readers would like object to that and they'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, I see it. But if it's a queer relationship, you're more likely to, I guess, like see some some blowback. Um, And the other thing I want to touch on with Adolin and Kaladin is the common point that gets brought up as well. But Adolin's a ladies man. Um, Like, but. Again, we're not shown that Adolin is a ladies' man. We are told he is a ladies' man. What we're shown is Adolin has many failed relationships with women that don't work out, and he seems to lose interest very quickly. Um, so again, like a, a, a person who's approaching it from one lens would see that, oh, he's a typical ladies' guy, he doesn't get attached, he keeps it casual. Reading it from a queer lens, you might say he's not finding fulfillment in many of his opposite sex relationships he's entering into. And then spends a lot of time thinking about this tall and stoic bridge boy um, (laughs) who also happens to conversely think about Adel. And we were talking before about Kaladin being kind of AC or like kind of sex neutral, almost repressed. Mm -hmm. And yet he's always thinking about, oh, how does he get his his hair uh, to fall so messily and perfect. Um, oh, that's so true. There's definitely a quote where like Shalon thinks this about Adolin, about like his hair is messy in just the right way. And then it feels like, oh, I wish I knew where they were better. But there's definitely a time when Kaladin does it in almost the exact same way of talking about how messy words. and attractive <laughs> Adolin's hair is. It's like, hmm, I don't know that that was intentional, but it happened. Yeah. And I think this is how the Yasna Shallon thing started too. Is Brandon, I don't know, like I think it's starting as like writing envy or like appreciation for the character, but mm-hmm. just it reads very <laughs> a- admiration, yeah. like ad yeah. interest mm-hmm. even. Yeah. Yeah, like Shazna has been a popular ship since 
you know, since we just had Way of Kings, it was one of the sort of like big ships in the fandom, I would say. Um, but I, I would say like, it's not even just Yasna that Shalon expresses this toward. Like there's a, a quote where she talks about how pretty Beryl is in uh, Rhythm of War. And it's like, oh yeah, this is kind of just how Shalon is very appreciative of how pretty other women are. And that definitely feels like it. Uh, I have a quote works, as yeah. well. Oh. Yeah, go for it. Uh, th- this one really stood out on one of my rereads in of Oathbringer. And I was like, oh. Like, and this was after uh, all the stuff on Twitter where Brandon's like, oh, actually, yeah, she kind of is bisexual. So this real stood, really stood out to me. In Oathbringer, um, Shalan is talking to Kaladin in Shadesmar, and um, they're on the boat talking about the Spren and how they're not really curious about watching them. Kaladin goes, I'd have expected them to watch us a little more than they do. They don't seem that curious about us. Which is odd, considering how interesting Azura is. Wait, just Azura? Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, In yeah. that polished brass prick breastplate and striking figure with her talk of chasing bounties and traveling the world she's deeply mysterious and i can't not read that and be like oh shalon your gayness is showing <laughs> and i love it attraction to women is yeah. oh <laughs> yeah like this is kind of the subtle stuff that i don't even know if brandon meant that but it comes across to me in the same way that her talking about yasna comes across yeah, it reads as like, oh, I've had the same experience as this. And when I did it, it was gay. Yeah, like I know so many people, including myself, who went through the, I'm not attracted to women. I just think they're really pretty. And then you get to the point that you're like, oh, wait. <laughs> oh, wait a second. <laughs> I Hang on, let's stop and think about this. I and only that's how stare at men's abs because I want abs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I almost wonder, like, Brandon has talked a little bit when we talk about the the Rhythm of War quote about how, like, Shalon might not fully be at the point where she's willing to, you know, accept that this is the way that she feels, um, whereas Vale is more comfortable with it. Um, but I, I almost wonder if this is sort of like an expression of this, like, Adolin is here and they are betrothed. And I almost wonder if Shalon thinks like, oh, well, I can't talk about finding men attractive because my fiance is around, but it's fine to talk about how attractive the women are around me because I'm straight. It doesn't mean anything, right? She might also just feel more comfortable now where it's like, okay, I have that safety and security of if things fail, I'm not alone. I'm not um, like miserable. I, I can start creeping out a little bit and exploring this other part of me because I have that support system I didn't have before. Yeah. I, I, um, I think going from, you know, not that we only want to talk about Shazna and Catalan as the only, you know, extra canonical queer ships out because there's lots of them. Um, I mean, Moash has an obsession with Kaladin that some people definitely yes. like to read as romantic. Cal Moash is a very popular ship. Um, it's twisted and in a weird, dark, bad place right now, but you can read that. Uh, the whole like quote about, uh, oh, Moash says, I'm unchained. And Odin's like, no, you're not. And he's like, mm, okay, I have one chain. And it's Most, Kaladin. Mostly unchained. <laughs> mostly unchained. 
<laughs> you know, I would care if you want to read it. Absolutely. Oh man, Rhythm of War was great. Uh, there was that quote. There was Navani Raboniel, which was Love super, it. super queer. Like Amazing. they hold hands and sing, and Raboniel is like the one person in the whole book. You know, the first time in canon who like looks at Navani and is like, yes, you're worthy. You're a scientist and like validates all of Navani's like fears and doubts about herself. Gives her a title. (sighs) Gives her a singer title. (laughs) Especially Uh, narratively speaking, like how the prologue for that book sets up Navani's big conflict as not being recognized and not being her own person. And being like, oh, and she's still kind of struggling with that with Dalinar because like Dalinar is someone who kind of shapes everyone he's around him, right? We he's love just, him. Yeah, we love him. But he's a magnetic. Well, and this is critique like Adolin comments on this. Uh, Yasna does. Navani does like Dalinar just kind of. Yeah, this is not this is actually perfect writing by Brandon. This is characterization. Yeah. yeah. You know, Dalinar is not the kind of person who he, he's not, I don't know if he's capable of seeing this about Navani yet. Um, it's just, it's exactly right. The, the bad romantic partner in the beginning is like, oh, Navani, you suck. You're bad. You're a bad scientist. And then later, not, we kind of skip over Dalinar and then we go to everybody. Who's like, oh, Navani, you're great. I, I have a Tumblr course that I would quite like to read that like, is very similar to what Shannon said before, but I think it like encapsulates it so well. Uh, it's uh, by Tumblr user Erlane, I think it's pronounced. Sure, but or your lane. You, yeah. Or your lane. That, that's probably more oh, closer wow, to it. That probably is what that username is. I never put that together. Wow. Oh, you guys. <laughs> Killing me. Your lane. Okay, anyway, um, sorry. <laughs> Navani and Rabanil held really held hands and sang together and invented something entirely new and beautiful and powerful and proved that their peoples were not naturally opposites destined to destroy each other. I need a minute. And like, <laughs> I, I think that like covers it pretty well. Like reading those scenes to me, I was like, wow, if you change like a little bit here, add a little bit there, maybe add in like one more scene or so. You've got a giant love story right there. Like you've the, the, the fan fiction writes itself. Yeah. And I do want to say something. I think a common um critique I see about headcanons and, and shipping, um, particularly queer ships, is well, like, what about representation of deep platonic bonds um that we don't get a lot of? And it's like, yeah. you know what? Brandon is actually really great at writing deep platonic bonds, as you can see. But the thing is, we don't actually need more representation of that because we we're getting a lot of it. And so that might be a problem if every single queer ship we were talking about was actually canon. But the reverse is true. Very few of them are or most of the ones we've talked about so far are not. So we'd be having a different conversation maybe if all of these were canon and we were having actually no examples of deep platonic connection. But right now we have a wealth of deep platonic connection and um, it shouldn't, so it's fun it shouldn't to bother romantic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, it doesn't hurt anything. It doesn't actually take away mm-hmm. any of the platonic relationships that exist in canon to imagine yeah. it romantic with kissing. I think the other thing with the platonic um, relationships is um, something that, 
fiction in general, like media in general, I think needs more of is like the male female friendships that are just platonic. Yes. And uh, just to mm-hmm. touch back quickly on Yasna Wit, like I think that was a really good place that Brandon could have had like a deep platonic male female friendship. And it's not really there. So like, I guess that is a bit of a frustration to me because yes, we have all, the, all of these deep platonic friendships and it's really good to have them between male and male characters, female and female characters, but also we need them more f- as well from male female characters. So I feel like it's justified for people to see there be more of a romantic relationship between these queer characters because that's what's lacking on that side and if there was more of the balance with heterosexual um friendships as well then that would probably balance things out a lot more Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) i i know when i find a book that does a you know, male-female deep friendship, non-romantic, very well, especially if the characters are straight and that's not ever, like, brought into, like, no, they, they're straight, they just don't feel that way about each other. That is a selling point for a good book for me. And I will, like, tell people, hey, this book does this really well, you should read it, because it's great, and it is really rare in a lot of cases. And people it, default assume. Uh, it's say. not a book, but something that... Uh, I've definitely, like a movie I've seen, which I actually think is a very bad movie, uh, The Kissing Booth, I think actually has one of the best male-female friendships that I've seen in media, uh, which was just really refreshing. I hated the rest of the movie, but I really liked that bit. <laughs> Priory of the Orange Tree came to mind for me for having uh, two two great friendships like this. It's on my a, bookshelf, not that for one. Cosmere. example, one I think that's developing or heading this way potentially um, is Wax and um, Marasi. Because um, you can tell, like, you know, there's some growing respect and camaraderie there. Um, and they had their kind of initial, like, will they, won't they arc in book one that was quickly discarded. And I, I was happy to happy to see that. Um, but it, I don't think he's quite gotten to the level of, like, showing the deep connections he's shown in uh Navani Rabonial or Adolin Kaladin, um Kaladin Moash. Um Maybe just Wax and Wayne. Or Wax and Wayne, yeah. No, great. <laughs> yeah. Great example. Mm-hmm. Or or even um it's a little different because there's kind of a, a parental element to it. Um Kelsier and Vin is probably one of the deepest non-romantic male-female relationships. Yeah. 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 Other than like actual familial ones, yeah, there's there is also like Kaladin and Shalan, and even they had like one whole book of just this: will they, want they love triangulism? And I feel like what they were looking for the entire time was just like friendship, and they got there. In the end. <laughs> What's yeah. that one quote? The feeling um, was friendship. Neither of them had ever experienced it before. I'm having feelings for you. <laughs> and then the narrator voice, that feeling was friendship. They've never experienced it. Yeah, exactly. that, that's, a, that's a great meme. I yeah. will say while we have brought up um, Mistborn Era 2 things, uh, we do have to mention that Renette exists, but 
unfortunately, I don't think there's much more that we can mention about Renette <laughs> other than that she exists. I have a question. Just, yeah. Why do mm-hmm. we get her partner's name? Is is Miss is it, like mentioned in the book? Or is that from a wob? Shadows that's, of Self? In the book. Okay. I okay. think I think I like mm-hmm. vaguely remember in Shadows of Self he mentions Misra. Okay, okay good. I'm not that far yet in that case. I think she says something along the lines of like, oh, like Misra would kill me for getting involved in this, or like, or mm-hmm. I would do mm-hmm. this, or but I yeah. can't because Misra would kill me, or or yeah. something like that. I yeah. have the quote if you wanted. Yeah, it just and Misra would shoot me if I did help you. Nice. Yeah. We just, you know, Renette is in a handful of scenes and is not a very significant part of any of them. Like, she's good at guns. She's mean to Wayne. For the gangs. Yeah. She she provides the guns for the gangs. Don't even remember that. She's there. She exists. She's gay. That's it. And it's largely, like, those scenes are largely taken up from, like, Wayne not well hitting on her so it really kind of overshadows pretty much everything else and i, I would say most of renette's character is actually wayne uh which is and, unfortunate yeah. she's and not even being you know what she's not even mean to wayne she's not even mean no. um wayne is inappropriate to her she's and valid. she she reacts politely and then more and more firmly until like until he gets the message you know what like I, she she is not mean to wayne i'm gonna that, I'm going to take that away, uh, strike that off her character list, you know? No. I think, um, and Renette, it's kind of the same, similar thing with Drahi. And one of the things you run into with rep and side characters is things are always presented from the main characters, the viewpoint characters perspective. So you automatically run into that feeling where they're, they're being experienced not from their own experience, but the role they're playing in the viewpoint character. So Renette, I think, falls into a device to show that Wayne is oblivious, right? Like more so than and, you know, Drahi at times can come across as a device like in that one scene um, where they're discussing his sexuality. It's almost like it's, the point is more to show that Kaladin isn't like perfect and he can be a little awkward around certain issues, um, which does not help against the reading that Kaladin is a repressed gay, (laughs) like the awkwardness of how he handles that scene. Um, (laughs) It also feels like this is Brandon's attempt to write queerness into the background of the stories Mm -hmm. as well. And it seems a little bit uh, overhandled to me instead of just having small observations of noticing characters in the background talking to like wife and wife or husband and husband um and it it's something that would be nice to see more of that like the queer characters are not necessarily just the ones that have names yeah it's it's something that honestly kind of frustrates me about Brandon's world building, well, like one aspect of it, because we have like this big word of Brandon about how homosexuality is treated in different places around the Cosmere. And one point he makes there is that Vorinism has specific oaths for partnership or marriage. He doesn't really specify it, I don't think, for same-sex couples. But then we get to like actually be in the books 
and you will find very little evidence of that. Like we never clarify if, I don't think we ever clarify, clarify if Drew and Drehi are husband and husband or are they just boyfriends? We don't, yeah, and we never see like a scene like Dalinar walked into the room where General so-and-so was talking with his husband or anything like that, or the two women sitting, holding hands together in a bar where Shalan is hanging out or something like that. We have the word of Brandon that there is space in Vorinism for, you know, for queerness, for being queer, but we never see it in the actual text of the book, even as like background mentions. And even more, when we have mentions of it, it's in the context of characters being awkward about it, like Kaladin being weird about like Drehi and his gayness, or that word of Brandon we have about Shalom maybe not necessarily being okay with being openly bisexual yet. It kind of, there's this dissonance where on one hand you have Brandon saying in a walk that Vorinism is okay with being queer, and on the other hand we ha you have Vorin characters who are very uncomfortable and awkward around queerness. So this is something that just, we could use more background, like throwaway sentence representation. Yeah. And it's not like we don't get that for the straight couples in the book. Like there's definitely been scenes where um, Brandon's like offhand mentioned like families or like husbands or wives just like in the war camps. And th that could easily be a mention to a homosexual couple um, instead. Yeah. And one way he has done this, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, um, is with the war pairs. Like he's mentioned, they're not all opposite gender war pairs, right? Or am I getting that wrong? I'm trying to I remember it, but it's possible. I don't recall. Yeah. I, I think now I'm beginning to wonder if I have them. it backwards. I and... think a lot of them stay with their mate pair. Yeah. And that's how the war pairs are formed. Yeah, yeah. But I think some of them, I, I was thinking some of them were the same gender, but now I'm thinking they initially thought they were all men, but then realized it was men yeah. and women and they were just both in war form. So they looked more yeah. similar. But mm -hmm. yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I find these singers really interesting because they have um, this form that is mate form and the reproductive form and Brandon's kind of talked about how in like technicality they all are kind of asexual when they're not in mate form but then we were talking earlier about um venley as well and how she really didn't want to be in mate form and i think there's a nice duality there where it's like okay well you can see all the singers as asexual but there is also like still the flexibility and space for people who are singers to feel more asexual than like i'm not in mate form therefore i mm -hmm. um am not interested in sex and it's like no i do not wish to do this at all like i have no desire and actively do not want to and then you have some uh listeners who are mentioned who stay in mate form almost all the time right yeah. so like there's still a spectrum there, even though you could view it as kind of more cased or separated, but there's still a spectrum of how they interact. Yeah. I like how uh, Brandon has also started incorporating um, 
transgender people into the Cosmere mm. as well. And bring that the, up. Yep. <laughs> the, the big example is um, Ralna, the Reshi king, and it comes up in Dawn Shard that uh, Lopin, yeah, it's a Lopin POV, he describes the features of the Reshi king very differently to how Risen does in uh, Words of Radiance when she meets the the king. And that's really nice. And I thought that was, it's still a little bit like tell not show, but I felt mm -hmm. like it was a bit more show than some yeah. things. And yeah, it, it's good to see that representation also coming into the Cosmere as well. Yeah, I I really like that we are getting more, you know, I hope that's something that Brandon continues to explore. Uh, you know, we've had wobs about like the, the returned being, you know, how a trans returned would, you know, shift to match the presentation that they, that they um, had in their, in their head. And, and I love that we're getting to see what that with the radiance, I would be interested to see if we get anything along those lines with Leshwi, who we know is in, you know, a melon body that's mentioned. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that I, I, I think there there is room for more exploration. I hope that's Brandon, something Brandon continues to, you know, adapt and go into as the series I continues. Know. One popular um, trans headcanon I've seen that I, I obviously don't know if it'll play out um, is with Lyft. I, I think a lot mm, of people yeah. see her trans people I've who I've read their stuff uh, ha, have related to, you know, her feelings about discomfort with her body as it's aging. Um, I think that's a fairly common trans experience, especially for trans trans men. Um, and so. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's what Brandon's intending with Lyft, but it's another example of people resonating with, you know, things they're seeing on the screen and certain subtext things that are really relevant to them hmm. um, and then using like, headcanon to explore it. And like the difficulty she had in Edge Dancer with dealing with her first period, the fact that yeah. she binds yeah. her breasts, like a, a lot of that reflects real life experiences. Yeah, I can say I I can I can very much relate as someone who is assigned female at birth and doesn't quite I, mostly identifies as a girl, but definitely is not comfortable with her body. I can very much relate to all of basically everything Lyft says, where she's like, "Why can't I just go back to being younger, where I didn't have to deal with all this?" Yeah, and it's like I feel you, girl. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, I could yeah. I could pretty easily see her being non-binary or yeah. pretty much any flavor of trans. I, mm -hmm. I could definitely see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah puberty sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In so many ways, puberty sucks. <laughs> um, I think the other really interesting character that came up in Rhythm of War is the sibling. And mm, the fact yeah. that they use gender neutral pronouns they do not care at all about gender um and like brandon uses they them the entire way through he, he doesn't explain it he just does and that was kind of nice because there was the scene where the 
Sibley and Navani are talking and uh, the sibling says, like, I don't care about gender, like, it means nothing to me. But that doesn't happen at the beginning and the sibling doesn't have to explain the pronouns, which I really don't think the sibling would care about at all. Um, mm -hmm. They're just there uh, from the beginning, which was just refreshing. Yeah. One thing that annoyed me about that uh -huh. is that it's another element of um, another use example of not having a human non-binary character. Um, and yeah. the sibling explicitly calls uh, gender a human thing, which I was like, oh, the the human non-binary people in the audience reading this right now are, might be a little bit annoyed at that, maybe. Yeah. That, was, that just really stood out to me as another... Um, you know, by by calling gender a human thing, and then by having another non-human um, reject gender, um, I think non-binary humans would certainly be something I would like to see. Uh, yeah, it doesn't well, have to be. It's just it's common. This isn't just a Brandon problem. It's kind of all throughout science uh, science fiction fantasy land. Is like having non-human non-binary. Characters. It's easier to make the alien non-binary mm -hmm. than to yeah. explain the humans yeah. being non-binary. And yeah, and there's lots of examples of this, you know, like like the Chandra could be read as, you know, more transgressive or more um I guess gender fluid almost. Yeah, or gender like more interesting even. from a, a gender perspective. Or yeah. Or have a more complex understanding of, yep. of their gender. Um, the the listeners we've talked about, um, and now like the sibling and like Spren having multiple genders. Brandon Brandon has talked about that, and it, it's kind of this way of skirting around it where you don't need to write about the human experience of <laughs> of being um, in these different identities because you can work that different experience into like these different culture or biology or makeup of these more alien creations like nightblood yeah. sometimes being referred to with feminine pronouns because yeah. leaning yeah. into that and it's yeah. kind of the same thing uh, if we can hop out of the cosmere for a moment again sorry spoilers for starsight right now but even like in the sci-fi setting like like skyward and starsight you don't see any humans that go by day but once once we go into space then there's entire species of dion dione dione However, you write it, Dios. where every member, yeah. where every member is using they them pronouns, and but, have completely different gender, um, yeah, like setups as well. I I feel like there's this, there's almost like a missed opportunity with the Ardentia. Like, what if every mm. Ardent oh was referred yeah. to as they them? Because Voronism does have this strict gender binary and gender roles but you also have this you know third area of people who are specifically supposed to be outside the gender binary yeah. you know i think we would see a lot of if brandon was writing non-binary characters in voranism who might feel comfortable in the ardentia but all of the ardents that we've met are still using what we assume to be their assigned at birth pronouns. And it's, uh, you know, I feel like we would see things there. Um, the mm -hmm. One of the few examples I can sort of think of is Yasna's friend, Yochi, Yochi, I don't know mm -hmm. how you actually pronounce that, mm. you know, who is said to be, he's a baker, but he's also sort of secretly known as this 
you know, female scholar under a pen name. And that's, that's a very sort of, I wish we got more time to uh, experience who he is as a character, you know, does he have a non-standard gender identity or is it just like, Oh, I want to do scholarly things. And so I'm going to write under a female pen name. Like, I think that's a character that could have potential of that sort of gender queer head cannons and yeah when you look at in our own history the number of women who have gone under male names and then finding like evidence way later that they that some of them not all of them but some of them genuinely did like want to be treated with like with male pronouns all the time not just as this is my way to get into being a doctor or something but this is this feels more right um you know it's it's difficult to look back because they didn't use the same language and I kind of think that's that's what Brennan is trying to play to is that the word trans, the way that we use it, didn't exist and wouldn't wouldn't necessarily exist. It's just trying to find the way to convey uh, these these things without using modern terminology. Really difficult. And I can kind of I can kind of see that that's what he's going for. Uh, he wants it to feel genuine to the world, but also, yeah, it kind of is a little bit. Uh, again missed opportunity with the ardentia for sure yeah um, particularly because like all the women don't wear safe hand gloves anymore. i thought they did they no they are ungloved wearing a glove i thought the horse i thought the horse lady um she's not an ardent she's not an ardent oh i thought she was um and the um like horse training is something both can do without being ardent it's like that weird gray area Gotcha. The the uh, Ardentia are really interesting, I think, because you totally see them as a spot where a lot of queer, both gender and sexuality people would end up um, because like they have this very gendered society, right? Where same sex partners, I think, would be disadvantaged because like yeah. if you're two men, you're hiring out to have a woman describe to you for you and to do things for you. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're two women, you're potentially, you know, having to pay for something that an opposite sex, sex couple is set up to succeed at on their own based on their strict gender divide. Um, so I totally see the ardent ardentia as a place where people are like, oh, if I become an ardent, I can do everything. And it doesn't matter that I'm a guy or a girl or in between or that I'm attracted to same sex as myself or different or like it's that yeah. definitely but the makes thing sense. Is you're, you're also kind of selling yourself into slavery to <laughs> yeah. obtain that freedom yeah. since I all artists are owned by the crown <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird um the, definitely like as a queer reader that makes sense of like you're in a rigid society looking for the in-between places you know the, there's the artists being a it, the, like the tailor made this. tailor made in between place for you. Mm-hmm. I I, oh. I would love to see maybe more of this with like Rushu, how they've they've talked about you know Rushu is very pretty. She didn't like that you know men were att- really attracted to her. That you almost get the sense that Rushu feels more free as an ardent with her head shaved and kind of being outside of the like almost off limits to the 
attraction of um you know the men around her i would i would love to see more of that from like rushu's character of her being non-binary or something like that and feeling comfort in the ardentia because it is a more genderless place than you know the feminine voran gender roles sort of a vibe i just wanted to add it feels almost weird to me that voranism this religion that is really obsessed with what men and women can do doesn't have a separate pronoun for the people who are outside of that binary, like the Ardents. Yeah, I, I, it feels like in like spoken Alethi and uh, Vedan that you would have a third pronoun for Ardents, but nobody yeah. ever mentions that being the case. <sighs> yeah, no, no, that I definitely think that would make sense from a cultural linguistic perspective. Um, we know they have gendered first-person pronouns because Dalinar and yeah. Navani talk about it, but... Yeah. <laughs> and that, yeah. Uh, on the topic of both characters that use uh, gender-neutral pronouns, but also what we were talking about before, where they're non-humanoid characters as well, the, si- the sleepless um, use it as a pronoun, which I think is a very interesting choice on Brandon's part because depending who you talk to, it can come across uh, very, very poorly, or there are people who do identify with it. So it was very interesting to read the Sleepless POVs where they were using that as their collective pronoun because they do really see themselves as a giant horde, basically. Yeah. Oh, I've seen I've seen the it pronoun used uh, very well. Um, that's that's the murder bot where it's they don't see themselves as as being humans or being people. So like all like the robot AIs, they all use it its um, as as the pronouns. And I thought that was really it was you you can do it in a way that isn't um, that isn't insulting or yeah. It's I I think you I think you could do it well and definitely really interesting. Um, one thing I I think Brandon did this, and I think it's a mistake, and it's also something that's way too late to change or fix, because um, it was written in from the first book of Stormlight, was the way listener gender works. Um, one of those things you just start to think about, it's like, oh, there are basically like two male, two female genders, and the difference is whether they feel sexual attraction or not or have a libido or not. Um, And that's super weird. And I don't think that was really well considered. Um, Gender and sexuality are two very different axes. And uh, if your sexuality changes or, or alters that doesn't affect the sense of who you are, like gender wise. um, And it's one of those things I, I, 10 years, 10 years ago, 11 years ago, 2010, right? Was when it first I think came it was out? Words of Radiance that we found out about the the singer genders. Okay, sure, yeah. Um, so maybe up to you know 2013. Within within the last 10 years, I can see this being maybe Brandon didn't really understand um, how how this whole gender identity thing works and why uh, when when you're cis and you've never really heard a trans person talk about it, I think it's easy to maybe make assumptions or take the wrong information from what you're being told. Cis is cis just means um, that you feel the same gender as the one you were assigned when you were born. So the doctor looks at your genitals and says, "Oh, this one's a girl," 
and they base that on you know the genitals and they and then you grow up and you feel like a girl um and then so that means you're cis if you know it's that that's the current language used it's you might hear something different depending on the community that you're in uh but that assigned female at birth or assigned male at birth is uh and if you're if you keep following with that as you grow up uh you're cis cis not sis mm-hmm. just in case you're confused <laughs> which is an actual um, like affects that exists in other contexts too so a lot of people think yeah. that like people made it up wholesale but now it's uh, there's a lot of stuff in like chemistry and biology that use cis and trans to describe things basically in the same way that we now use it for gender. Uh, it's just in a different context. Same root. It's just, it's a science mm-hmm. word, actually. Go figure. <laughs> yep. Yay, science. Dim in the queer cast. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. You can't stop Cosmere nerds from talking about terminology <laughs> <laughs> or linguistics. <laughs> <laughs> we love it it's so interesting it's in- like going through both the discussion of the listeners and their different genders and the interesting relationship they have with their gender in being like somewhat fluid um and also thinking back to the ardent conversation i find Renarin and Relaine's trajectory very interesting because Renarin, um, who has recently been outed outside of canon as, you know, having a crush on a guy, was routinely kind of being pushed towards the Ardentia um, by his family mm-hmm. and kept, yeah. you know, kind of considering it. And again, this is one of these things that I think is queer people or a queer reader might pick up on and be like, oh, this is like the finding a place for the gay son who doesn't quite fit into like the family yeah. dynasty. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Which, you know, it, so it made sense, I think, for a lot of people, um, for Renner and, and Relaine uh, to, it, it kind of made sense. It was a natural progression. And what's interesting, I think, about this as an example is here's a place where subtext again um maybe wasn't was intentional brandon was intending to foreshadow this but maybe came off stronger than he realized because he put the subtext in and then he said oh i think it should be fairly obvious and then um for people who don't know the story it was on a stream and then his assistant (laughs) said um yeah i think it's pretty obvious and he's like okay yeah so chat's probably right then and he said oh yeah but chat's like guessing a bunch of different things and then you look at the chat and it's like renarin and relaine renarin and relaine renarin and relaine so it, it for me at least that moment was very validating because after having like subtext subtext about like adolin and kaladin and being like nope um Navani Ramoniel, nope, you know, it's like, oh, actually, this time you weren't crazy. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) this was intended to be here. Um, And, you know, the foreshadowing with Relaine as well, having an similar to what we discussed with Benley, an interesting relationship with um, the listener genders um, and not liking mate form. Yeah, yeah, explicitly so. 
going strange. Yeah. Um, as as someone, I'll say, as a connoisseur of Renarin ships throughout the years, um, <laughs> that's a. If we ever do a fandom history podcast, I'll talk a lot about my uh, Renarin ships. But I, you know, I was, um, I have definitely written Caloran fanfics for a while. Caloran being a very popular Renarin uh, ship. But I know when we were reading Rhythm of War, um, and I've said this before in other places, but I also thought this was up. Oh, Brandon did it again. That here's a, a queer ship with chemistry that he's probably not ever going to act on. But I think it's really, like a really cute dynamic. And I was just shocked that this was actually a dynamic he was planning to explore. And I think it hopefully does have some potential because it didn't start out with... And these are our gay characters who are going to be gay now in a way that we've gotten with a lot of the side characters. This did feel like a ship that arose sort of organically out of the text that people were seeing. And I mean, anything could happen in the future, but I I have hopes that it will be good and be a a well-realized relationship and things like that. Yeah. Well, do we have any other future hopes, any other headcanons that we would love to explore further going forward? Anything else we want to see? I admit this is like completely baseless, but I would love for the main character of the next Mistborn era to be bisexual, gay, lesbian, whichever gender Brandon ends up going with them. Mm-hmm. You know, just non-straight, just the main, main, main character. Because even with, yeah. like, Renarin and Rulain are nice, and they will be main characters, but Renarin was kind of stuck in this having a secret phase for the first three books, so he couldn't really be, be the point of view for a while. His screen Tell time was very <laughs> yeah. And- yeah, so it would be nice to have a main character who is main character main point of view who is actually queer uh, i i agree with you 100 percent. and i think also from a one of the issues i think modern writers have or fantasy specifically has depicting um queer relationships is because of the history in literature and some of the conventions that are around and restrictions actually against you know writing published works about queer relationships the only examples we have of queer people in writing for certain periods in certain languages is subtextual. We don't have good examples of writing canonical, explicit queer relationships. And since the new Mistborn trilogy is going to be in a more modern setting, I think it's kind of 80s era technology. I'm hoping Brandon's comfort with depicting queer relationships or queer identities will be a little higher because he won't have to worry about using um terminology that feels wrong for the period yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah but i, well, I agree I, with you and now i'm just on board with that i'm like i don't i didn't really have any hopes except for like you know relaine uh Lorin should be good that's my hope but now i'm like oh yeah yeah let's uh, that's great. Uh, queer, queer lady uh, programmer. Uh, I think she's. I, I, I think so we've fun. heard. 
We've heard maybe possible Terrace Woman is the lead. This is not confirmed. Mm. This is just from like the Wobs that we're hoping we get like a, a Terrace Woman. Yeah, let's make her. Let's make her queer. Let's do it. Go, Brandon. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Now well, I'm interested. Okay. <laughs> and it fits really well because like I know it's just 80s level technology. We don't know it's going to be 80s era culture. Yeah. But like the 80s, um, were also like a very like time for where like the queer movement was expanding a lot and gaining a lot of ground and also the side like he's kind of hinted i don't know the vibes i've been getting from some of the wobs is it might be a little cyberpunky or he might work in some like i i don't know maybe this is just me going off base but it just feels I, I see like there's a lot of gay there. a lot of gay potential for this next <laughs> i'll say that something that i would really like is uh because brandon's doing this misborn screenplay and if it goes anywhere i know he's talked previously about how he kind of wishes he had made uh ham and or dachshund uh female i would actually really like if he took that a step further and had them as trans women in instead of just gender swapping them i think that the fact that he wants more female representation in Kelsey's crew anyway, I think this is a really good opportunity that he could explore a different um, view of womanhood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then I would like to see more human characters who go by they, them. Yes. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe if we do have like a queer protagonist for the next Missborn, then I would love for like a more robust romance between them. <laughs> like Brandon yeah. is getting better at writing romances, but you know, it would be nice. Yeah. Katie, do you have any um, future wishes? This is more just a general wish for fantasy, but I hope we get non-binary characters who are non-binary but aren't just like completely ah uh, like i have no gender i don't care about gender but instead like have a gender or aligned toward something but it, they're still definitely non-binary i don't know i would like seeing that but it's a little more specific yeah mm -hmm. that would be a really cool concept i know you don't always want to tie like a gender identity or a sexuality to like something special or something magic because it kind of like exoticize it or like it mm -hmm. it's a regular thing that everyone has and so you shouldn't need to be like a listener or a whatever but a light weaver character who's like gender fluid or like not non-binary in a way where they're still playing with gender a lot and aren't yeah. like completely gender neutral could be very cool a, a loki-esque gender fluidity where like just change what you look like on a whim all the time just whatever you feel yeah. like kind of fun yep yeah i think i think my main hope is maybe less specific i mean relainer and of course but uh less specific just brandon becoming more comfortable with these ideas and learning to write them with Maybe a little bit more finesse than we have gotten in the past. Um, Relax. I appreciate that he's trying, and I hope that he continues trying. You know, his his first couple books were not very good either. You know, it's always a learning process to to get better, and this is just a new skill that 
I'm I'm glad he is attempting to get better at it. So, and there's yeah. other times where he's done this, um, where he has gotten a lot better, particularly in like characters that have autism. Like the difference between yeah. Um, yeah. the characters in Elantris versus like Steris is a lot. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I definitely think he's he's going to continue to improve. Yeah. Okay, well, I guess in that case, it is time for Who's That Cosmic Character? This character is from Roshar. Menace. Tia Tom. Raze. Void in drag on a horse. <laughs> it's time for Who's That Cosmic Character? Call. Welcome to Who's That Cosmic Character, the game show where you send in five clues and a character to WTCC at 17shard.com, and our panelists have a chance to guess who's that cosmic character. So the first one is sent in by user uh, Little Moss, who I... Have they been on Discord? The name sounds familiar. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, uh, so clue number one. This character is in a relationship. Ooh, very apt. Yasna. No, it's not Yasna. <laughs> very topical. <laughs> Misra. Oh. Okay. Not Misra. Five clues about Misra would be hard. <laughs> uh, I will say Sarah. I'm not sure if like Grace would accept that with like how. <laughs> yeah small a character she is yeah. alex said someone and now i've forgotten who's i oh uh steris not steris okay i'll say navani not navani dalinar not dalinar so clue number two this character is female mm. vin no hesina not Hesina. Okay. You're saying in a relationship, you do mean in a romantic relationship, right? What is a relationship? <laughs> a relationship. <Risk> check, <laughs> yes. Wow. Well, okay. yeah. This is super topical. Uh, yes, in a romantic worry. relationship. Serene. No, not Serene. I'm going to say um, Mare. No, not Mare. Siri. Not Siri. Okay. Clue number three. This character is Terris. Tindwell. Not Tindwell. Oh. This is like a list of the the, like um, characteristics we wanted for like the Era 3 Mistborn uh, main character. I don't remember names is the problem. Yeah. Uh, Do you think I remember Era too? I mean, like, maybe a bit out of left field, but Melan? No, not Melan. I guess so. she's not heritage. Yeah, yeah, she's, she's a, a counter, so she'll be a former. Well, no. True. Oh, that, that is she's, real clever. But Melan is a later generation, so she was never a, a I mean, she was, person. She be, wasn't she made into, like, weren't, like, all the terrorists well, yeah. Aren't all the mis mistrapes? Is that the word? Mistrapes. Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess it, it's deba- like so. But she would have no like memory. Like she's not like the 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 first generation. Yeah, but like yeah, heritage wise, she would be yeah, heritage. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, either I, way, it's not it's not Melan, so doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, that's a I fun one though. Think this has to be Wax's grandmother, but I don't remember her name. I, I don't remember. I feel like she must have a name, but I don't Probably recall not. it. Nope. I mean, I'll that, answer. That's who I was thinking too, but I also don't know the oh, name. Oh, it's not her. Ooh, not Max's mm. grandma though. My mm. guess is Ida is Ideshwi. No, it is not Ideshwi. Was the murdered victim? Mm. Oh, good one. Clue number four: This character is a world hopper. Chris? Um, no, Chris is not. Doesn't Demu have uh, Carrie's wife? Was it one of one of the one of the three folks from the uh, from the Pure Lake Vision? They were all they were dudes. all men. Yeah, yeah, but one of them has a girlfriend. I think I don't remember Miss oh. one very well. This is like but a pretty sure one of them is Carrie's girlfriend. This is so not my question. Oof, it's like yeah. <laughs> missed four yeah. people. Is that your guess, Rosal? Yeah, the girlfriend, the Moa's girlfriend. I don't remember her name. It is the Moa's girlfriend. Wow. Uh, her name is, uh, <laughs> is Lydon, as Lydon. Right. Oh. Wow. Good job. Uh, so, clue number five was his character tended to the wounded in the Battle of Hassan. Wow. Man, I was, okay, I was like, a so lady in next one. war doesn't, isn't in a relationship. I was totally lost. Anyway, okay, yeah. so second, who's that cosmic character? Uh, this person just has their full name in it, so I'm not actually going to say it for privacy, and I don't know if they want uh, it attributed to their real name, so I'll skip that bit. But clue number one, this character first appears at a party. Ellen. No, it's not Ellen. Chris? I mean, no, it's not Chris. I'm going to say, go with a classic Matt guess and say Shanna Lariel. No, it's not Shanna Lariel. I'm new, but you guys have already infected me with the what is a party? Like, <laughs> right. I can't, I'm just over here going, is that one time that Dalinar and everyone was eating in the flashback was that a party <laughs> go for it maybe okay i'm going for it i'm going for evie no it's not evie mm. yeah. also excellent pronunciation of her name it's definitely the correct one and eric is wrong <laughs> <laughs> i am also going to go rosharin and i'm gonna say zeth no it's not Zeth. <laughs> that's a great guess we that is a, a lot of people guess. in the prologues you know <laughs> <laughs> okay, so clue number two: this character had a bad accident with their staff. Staff as in the object, you, or staff as in people. Staff as in like people, people who work for them. Staff uh, people. Yeah. Okay. The lady from Colinor that Shalan impersonates in Oldbringer. No, she's setting up for a party, so that's not. Mm. I am bad at names. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, you're not the only one. I, I know who you're talking who about, is. but yeah, I, I don't know the, the I, name. I'm gonna go off. Uh, what other? Uh, Gavilar. 
No, it's not Gavilar. I was thinking Gavilar. If you got it, if that was it, I would have been really put out. <laughs> Iodon? No. The king? Yeah, no, not, not Iodon. I was like, there's some bad interactions with the staff there. <laughs> bad accident with their staff. Very specific. These are so specific, and yet I'm it's worried, not helping wor- at all. I'm worried that this is a um, a, a cell person. I never know anybody <laughs> from cell. Um, I know. I'm looking over my books and being like, hmm. like, "Ah, uh, the classic. Got to stare at the bookcase to try and remember the inspiration." I know. I have to Rissa, guess. Did still, you guess I'm- before? I, I suppose I was talking about the culinary lady. I don't know if we count this as a guess. Okay, I wasn't sure if that was actually your guess or not. I know, I, I could guess again, just ignore the culinary lady. Uh, it, it's up to like, you. I, I didn't really register it as an actual guess, hence my question. Yeah, because I like realized halfway that no, that's not other party. So maybe... Oh god, I'm, again, I'm forgetting the name I'm going to say. Uh, describe them. Uh, in the uh, in bands of mourning, the woman, the lady who has like the radio with suits speaking through it. Yes, that is correct. Uh, ca- oh. uh, lady Calistina Shores. Congratulations! Wow. You both <laughs> uh, nicely done. Very nicely Calistina. done. Okay. No, can you uh, say? Sorry. That I've been yeah. in two episodes of Shortcast so far, and I have three Who's That Cosmic character guesses. I am very <laughs> happy with myself. The <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Um, what were the other clues? The other clues were this character is a revolutionary? Revolutionary? It's meant to be revolutionary. <laughs> Probably. Uh, it might be revolutionary was... in the sense. It might be re- yeah. revolutionary in a sense that. She reveals about the existence of radio and the plans of suit. Oh, yeah. Oh, revelatory yeah. would be the word there. <laughs> yep, maybe. Oh. And then this character was worse off after losing their jewelry, and this character owned a radio. I had no chance. So I'm glad you said questions. radio because I wasn't fully sure which book this character was in. So I was like, oh, radio, cool. Yep. No chance. Cool. No chance with these ones. <laughs> they weren't. They weren't. They weren't Stormlight. So, <laughs> yeah, they're both um, both Mistborn on both eras. I actually felt yeah. thought that first one was Era Two until I got to the end of it. I was like, oh, okay, never mind. I am recalling now that she does show up in Hero of Ages. I I remember that, but it's so brief, it's so brief. <laughs> Well, thank you for watching, everyone, and thank you for joining me, everyone, on this episode. Uh, you can find us at 17thshard.com for all your news, discussion, theories, and fun that you could ever want. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can subscribe on YouTube, and you can also support us on Patreon. See you next time. Bye. 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 Thanks <laughs> for Death Sander fans. <laughs> Call. Call. <laughs>